0: Amen. How quickly we forget. Uh, Children can be dismissed if they're still here. Let's get our Bibles out. Proverbs 6. We've been preaching our way through Proverbs 6. We're in verse 27 through 29 will be our focus this morning. So if you get your Bible out to Proverbs 26 and you put your finger on verse 27, I'm sorry, Proverbs 6. If anybody's listened to me, I don't know. He's like, he's not making sense up there. We're going to Proverbs 6. So Proverbs 6, verse 27. Get yourself there. I'm going to bless the word, and then I'm going to read it to you. Father, I pray this morning, Lord God, that as we've entered into your courts with worship, as we've taken a moment to remember uh, the sacrifice and the wake-up call to our nation, Lord, that our hearts are ready to receive the word this morning. Bless your word this morning. Let these three verses come alive to us And Father, though they may shake us in some ways, let the truth and the principles find good ground in our hearts so that they would be in us forever, that they would keep us and steer us according to your great wisdom. We prayed in Jesus' name and the church said, amen. Amen. Proverbs 6, starting in verse 27. Listen. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So is he. Who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not be innocent. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he's starving. Yet when he is found, he must restore sevenfold, and he may have to give up the substance of his house. Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding, and he who does so destroys his own soul. Wounds and dishonor he will get, and his reproach will not be wiped away. For jealousy is a husband's fury. Therefore, he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will, he will accept no recompense, nor will he be appeased, though you give him many gifts. Again, our three verses. Can a man take fire into his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. Proverbs 6 has covered a lot of ground, and we've preached through every part of it. We looked at the seven things that God hates, and we say, why would a loving God hate anything? God hates things that hurt people because God loves people. God's not a hater. God's not mean. God's not judgmental. God's not up in heaven waiting for you to step out of line so he could smack you back in line. He's the lover of our souls. Yet God hates things that hurt people, and adultery hurts people. It hurts husbands and wives and children and families and communities. Yet our nation and our culture and the world around us has made adultery so commonplace that we're not even shocked by it anymore to the point where it's almost accepted, often excused. God doesn't feel that way because he knows in the aftermath, there will be hurt people. We looked at verses 20 through 24 and found that it's godly parents and godly leaders that are tasked with giving our children a biblical foundation of sexual morality. The world has its own system. Look, and if we don't teach our children when they're young what the word says and how to conduct themselves and how to keep themselves, then they're going to get swallowed up by the world out there. So thank God for godly parents. Thank God for godly leaders. Thank God for preachers and teachers and evangelists who will share the word in truth and challenge a generation to be moral according to God's word. It's our task to do. So let's do it, and let's sow it into our children. Verse 24 through 26, the last time we were together here, it served as a warning against sexual predators and uh, uh, adultery and prostitution and human trafficking and all of these things that we might not want to talk about in church, but they're happening all around us in the world. Right now, today, with our border open, we are having cartels traffic people through to use in sex trade and, and uh, all kinds of debauchery that's going on in the United States of America. The, the closing the border is not about race and racism. It's about keeping drugs out. It's about keeping sexual immorality out. It's about keeping fentanyl out. It's about keeping terrorism out. Amen. I was just talking to someone this morning right now there's hundreds of people from terrorist backed nations running loose in our country and we have no idea if they're a security risk or where they are right now and we're talking about 9/11 today and how does that happen again by us not being vigilant So understand, we have a responsibility as godly people in a nation. We are being warned about the predatory practices of sexual predators, what's going on right in our own nation with young people being forced into uh, the the sex trade and the porn industry and into prostitution is horrific. And God sees it and we should be praying against it. We learn that sexual predators are evil and they use smooth speech to deceive and snare their victims. We learn that, beauty is an idol that we worship. It's amazing. Handsome people, beautiful people, the prettiest person in the room, they can get all the attention and they can talk and they don't even have to make sense. Oh, they're talking. What are they saying? I have no idea. Beauty can become an idol Let me tell you something about beauty, though. The Bible says it's fleeting. You know, we all start off young and handsome, and eventually, you know, time and gravity have its way. And the young people are looking at me like, what? You'll you'll see. Sometimes I pass by the mirror and I just... You ever look in the mirror and go, I want to talk to the manager. What happened, Dan? What happened? Young strapping lads... Old, saggy men. So we worship beauty, but beauty is fleeting. Beauty is not external, it's internal. We need to find beauty. We need to learn to look as God looks and see the the beauty of good character, of a moral person, of a kind heart. We learned that in the end game of the sexual predator is to diminish and destroy everything that's precious to us. As we talk about adultery today, understand the end game of adultery is to destroy what's precious in your life. Your marital relationship, your home, your children, your integrity, your witness. Today we look at three verses. Can a man take fire into his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Let's look at verse 27. Look at that there. Can man take fire? I want you to just picture fire into his bosom and his clothes not be burned. Now, I want you to think about that for a hot minute. Some of you are not paying attention. Yeah, I did that on purpose. Would you go into a fire, a campfire, you know, a bonfire, and just grab yourself a huge heap of coals and just take it into and walk away with it and go, this is nice. No, you wouldn't do that. It's insane to do that. The scripture is trying to make the point here that it would be insane to do something like that. You know, will we embrace fire? Will we wrap our hands around a lit torch, a burning tree, a burning house? Never. And the reason we would never do that is because we know with 100% certainty that we would be badly burned. And the point that the scripture is making today is those who engage in immorality, fornication, and adultery, they are going to be badly burned. It's a no-brainer. He's saying here, look, you can't scoop up hot holes. You can't take fire in your bosom. You can't hug a burning tree. Come on, all you tree huggers. Don't hug it if it's burning. I'm going to give myself 10 bucks if I can get a couple of you to smile. Sexual immorality will burn us every time. If you play with fire, you're going to get burned with 100% certainty. If you scoop up hot coals, you're going to get burned. And those who willingly embrace uh, these things that the Bible warns us against are being reckless and playing a dangerous game. It's, It's like playing a game of Russian roulette. And for those of you who don't know what Russian roulette is, it's when you take a revolver and you open it and you put one bullet in the chamber, you spin it, close it, and you put it to your head and pull the trigger. And people do this. They do it in all kinds of situations and scenarios, and they never know if they're going to hear a click or a final bang. And that's crazy, and it's dangerous, and it's reckless. We see it in organized crime. We see it in drug cartels. We see it in street gangs. They play this game, and it's a reckless game to play. And I share that with you today because I want you to see that verse 27 is basically warning us that when we play with the fire of sexual immorality, it is like a a game of spiritual Russian roulette. And I want to tell you, you're playing Russian roulette with your soul when you engage in adultery. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says this, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters or adulterers. It's number three on the list. What is the word of God saying to us? Those who engage in adultery as a lifestyle, and they're constantly stepping out on their marriage vows and on their spouse, and and they they think they're doing good because they haven't got caught, they're not fooling anybody because they're not fooling God. And God says, if you live that way, don't deceive yourself. You're not going to heaven when you die. Doesn't matter how much, you know, you come to church, read your Bible, how much money you give in the offering plate, don't be deceived. If you're doing these things and violating God's law, breaking your covenant relationship with your spouse, understand something. God is saying, you're not going to inherit eternal life. You're playing Russian roulette with your soul. How many times will you hear click before you hear bang? Number two, you're playing Russian roulette with your physical health. Here's something that you won't hear on the news media. You won't hear on the the news stations or on the internet. But STDs are at, at epidemic proportions, and they have been on the rise every year for the last decade. If you look at the chart, the arrow's not going flat. It's not going down. It's going up, up, up every year. Why? Because we've rejected biblical morality as a culture and we've embraced it with this hookup culture that is having people and our young people hop from one bed to the next, from one partner to the next, from one disease to the next. And they think, well, you know, it's, you know I can just do this and it's fine. And understand, you're playing Russian roulette with your physical health. Every year, chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, herpes, AIDS. The CDC estimates that right now there will be this year 43 million new cases of HPV in our country alone. I don't have time to give you the physiological ramifications of these things, but they will destroy your health, they will destroy your ability to to reproduce, they will destroy your soul. There's no safe sex when it comes to the judgment of God. And yet we preach to kids, oh, just be safe, just be safe. Abstinence is a myth. You you just do whatever you know you want to do with whoever you want to do it. Yet your physical health is on the line. Ask people who have herpes, who have AIDS, who have some of these diseases, are they having a good time? Are they having a normal lifestyle? How long will you hear click before you hear bang? Number three, the third way those who embrace sexual immorality are playing Russian roulette is that you're playing Russian roulette with your heart. The danger of engaging someone physically who is not your spouse just might steal away your wayward heart, and you just may fall in love with that person, and it becomes a snare to your soul. See, when you touch what you're not supposed to touch, you get attached to it in an unhealthy way. And there's a soul tie that's created. And then, Gucci, you might just fall in love with that very thing that you weren't supposed to have. The heart is a deceptive thing. And you say, well, they're a good person. They're kind. They're gentle. They listen to me. They they desire me. And all of these things are a trick and a trap. And if you don't think it's true... The Bible warns us because many of the kings of Israel made this mistake. Listen to 1 Kings 11:12. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh. The Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, all the ites. Women of Sidon. Haiti women from the nation of which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, listen, this is what God said to the people of God. You shall not associate with them, neither shall they associate with you. They will turn your heart away to follow their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. Solomon touched what God said not to. He fell in love with it and decided it was easier to disobey God than to break up the affection he had for strange women who worship false gods. And understand something spiritual adultery and physical adultery work together. If you'll cross the line and break your marriage covenant and commit physical adultery, it won't be long be- before you commit spiritual adultery and walk away from God. That's why he said, don't marry them. Don't fall in love with them. They'll get you to worship their gods. You'll get into a relationship that destroys your marriage, sucks you back into the world, and keeps you away from God. How long will you hear the click before you hear the bang? Adultery is a dangerous game to play. Verse 28 is an interesting verse. It says, can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? You know, as I was studying this, the last week here i would say that many people in our generation would say yeah you could do that because why we've all seen people on tv or on game shows or on things movies and what do they do they walk on the coals yep. and you say what well, right that uh what what is that it's a trick you say well pastor yeah we've seen people do that can someone walk on the coals yeah i saw it on tv it's a magic trick. It's a trick. And, and that's exactly what I want you to see here. People are, think they can do certain things and, and it's not going to damage them, but it's a trick. And here's why. Because that's done in a controlled environment at the right pace over a short distance, where the coals are at a certain temperature, and they do it, and it's controlled, and bang, it happens. But understand something. If the walk is too long, or you move too slow, or the perspiration wicks out of your feet too fast, you're going to be painfully burned. Badly scarred. And the Bible warns, can you walk on the hot coals and your feet not be seared. And the, the, the trick is that, you know, the enemy wants you to believe this about adultery. I can do it and I'll get away with it. I won't be hurt. I can do this and nothing's going to happen to me. I've seen other people do it and they've come out just fine. I've had people that I was in counsel with that had stepped out of their marriage and were, were in uh, the, the adulterous relationships telling me about David. Come on, Pastor. Look, David did it. Why can't I do it? And you know what the answer was? When David did it, it cost him so much that we need to look at what the Scripture says. The Bible says that, you know, David was caught in this thing, and the the prophet Nathan exposes him, and what? The baby he conceived with Bathsheba dies, and he holds it in his arms. And then the Bible says that when Nathan said to him, the sword will never depart from your house, David. What does that mean? The judgment of God, even though David was forgiven and blessed because he repented, And God restored him. The sword never departed from his house. His own son Absalom tried to kill him and take the throne from him. His other son raped his daughter and then Absalom killed him. There was all kinds of drama and turmoil in David's house. He was driven off the throne by people who were still loyal to wicked Saul and people cursed at the king like a dog. But David got away with it. No, he didn't. Even though God forgave him, there was still a heavy price to pay. People in our generation think it's no big deal. Everybody's doing it. Who's going to know? I I can just step out, you know, and I, I, I won't be hurt. The enemy wants you to believe that. But the truth is people who willingly embrace the fire of adultery are going to get burned. They are going to be like the person with seared feet. Now, let's take a look at that. A person with seared feet is going to behave in a certain way. Number one, a person with seared feet will have their walk noticeably altered. If your feet are burned, you're going to walk differently. Have you ever gotten to a spot where you started, maybe you're walking on the hot sand or the hot deck, or you find yourself, you, for some reason, you got out of the car, you don't have your flip-flops on, or you, you don't have your Crocs on, and you're standing on asphalt, and it's 90 degrees. Come on, you know, it's all, all of a sudden it's like... You know, you're doing all kinds of things. Uh, sometimes I'll run out on my porch to see, you know, see something in my yard, you know, and, and the porch is on fire. And then before I realize it, I'm like, ah! And so then I, I jump onto the house mat, which is black, and that's hotter. Ah! And then I jump inside. For this is what happens to me when nobody's home. They should run cameras at my house all day. My family just shakes their head. They're like... But hot stuff is going to burn us. And playing with fire is going to burn us. And if your feet are seared, your your walk is going to be altered. That means people are going to look at you, and spiritually, you're not going to walk the same way. What's wrong with them? They're just not right anymore. They don't have joy anymore. Their countenance is always down. They're they're bitter now. They, They look unhappy. Before, they were Christians, and they loved Jesus, and they had joy. And now they look like us. Because when your feet get seared by willingly engaging in behaviors that God says not to, our walk will be noticeably altered. Number two, our ability to witness will be destroyed. When your feet are burned, you will not be able to carry the gospel. You see, Pastor, where do you get that from? Listen to Romans 10:15. But how are they to preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, listen, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. See, when we bring the gospel, it's good news. And it's our feet that bring the good news. Now, if our feet are horribly burned, we don't bring the good news in a way anymore because people don't want to hear about Jesus from someone who is immoral and exposed and and everybody knows what they did. And now all of a sudden, they don't want to hear about Jesus from you. Your witness has been destroyed. Your feet have been seared. Look what it says in Ephesians 6.15. And your feet are to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We're to carry the gospel everywhere we go. Our feet are the vehicle that brings our witness before men. And when our feet are burned and seared, people don't want to hear it from us. Why do you think a man like Billy Graham was able to gain audience with all presidents and even the queen and all these people? Why do they want to hear from him? Because he was a godly man, because he wasn't burned by immorality. And they could see he walked what he talked, and they wanted to hear from him. Having our feet seared by sexual sin will destroy our witness it will noticeably alter our walk, and number three, it will eventually become a public spectacle. Now, the devil will tell you, "Now you can do this. No one's going to know. We'll keep it on the no. You know, it's going to be hush hush. No one's ever going to find out." <laughs> what I found out in 53 years is everybody always finds out, and and there's no shortage of people that will spread rumors, spread gossip. Man, once they get there's some people that just get something and they'll spread it everywhere. And the enemy has no shortage of people like that at his disposal. And you think, well, no, you know, I'll just, I'll be careful. You know, no one's going to ever know. And, and you know what? Luke 12, 2 through 3 assures us that that will never be the case. Listen to Luke 12, 2 and 3. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed. Let's just stop there for a second. Which part of nothing do you think you can squeak by with? Well, I'll get away with it. Everybody else, you know, I'm smarter than everybody. I can cover my track. good. No, but there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed. And the hidden things will be known accordingly. Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. Ouch. I don't even want to talk to my wife in the bedroom anymore. Shh, come here. I got to tell you something. You can't hide anything. The truth has a way of coming out. The truth has a way of, it might take some time. It it might, you know, but listen, it always comes out. That's why when I look at the world around us that cloaks everything it, it does in deception and deceit and corruption, and they think they're getting away with it, it's gonna be shouted from the rooftops. It's going to be exposed, and it's gonna come out. And those who willingly commit Sexual sin and adultery and play with fire will be burned and will become public spectacles. If you ask the person, you know, who did what they did, if now the fact that everybody knows and their integrity is destroyed and people look at them differently, if it was worth it, what do you think they would say? Hmm. As a pastor, I know a lot of things that I wish I didn't know that people think they've hidden, covered up. And unfortunately, because of spiritual authority and because of discernment and because the Lord somehow makes me aware, I know things I wish I didn't know. Verse 29 says, He who goes into his neighbor's wife, whoever touches her, shall not be innocent. Let's take a look at 29. Notice the text describes the worst-case scenario for sexual infidelity. He who goes into his neighbor's wife. This is something that's done, and and most of the times, this is often how it happens. It's done within the community. It's his neighbor's wife. It's not a random thing, an anonymous thing. It's not an impersonal thing. It's people who know each other, who see each other every day, who are neighbors, who are friends, sometimes best friends, family members even. Well, I just got real up in Full Gospel Center this morning, and everybody seems uncomfortable. I'm with you, and I got to preach it. Pray for me. Somebody sleeping with their brother's wife or a a woman sleeping with, you know, a a, a close friend or, you know, I mean, the stuff that goes on. Look, I don't even have to explain it. We all know it because we've all seen it. And the Bible's saying this is not a you know anonymous thing, just a random thing. You know, 90 percent of the time, it's a it's a very close public betrayal, and then everybody knows it's not random or impersonal. It's his neighbor's wife. Relationships shattered, communities shattered, families shattered by adultery, for a m- few moments of fleeting pleasure. The cost is much too high, and God loves us enough to warn us today never to cross that line. Verse 29 continues here as we bring this in for a landing. It says, whoever touches her shall not be innocent. That's an interesting concept. We don't think about our innocence very much, but the destruction of a person's innocence is a very sad and serious thing. Remember I said there's certain things I wish I didn't know. And I'm sure there's all of us, there's certain things we didn't wish we didn't know about certain things. And, and, and sometimes there's memories that come back to our heads. Do you ever have a memory coming to your head and you're just like, ah, try to get it out? You see me driving down the road and I'm going like this. Because I, you know, I don't want to know that stuff. I wish people didn't tell me. I wish I didn't see those things. I was, you know, but once we see them, we can't unsee them. Once we do them, we can't undo them. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. Our innocence being shattered is a sad and serious thing. You know, when a child's innocence is purposely destroyed, God warns those who destroy it that devastating eternal consequences await them from him. There are those that are in a big rush to destroy the innocence of our children and their sexuality. There are those in the academic realms, in the teaching field that are being mandated by, you know, those who are in control to teach children about sexual acts. Children that are just so young, they don't need to know about these things. We didn't send them to school to learn those things. They're kindergartners, and they're getting taught, you know, read stories to by drag queens and and sexually confused people. And they they do this in schools, and they say, we're going to talk about something here today, and don't tell your parents if you don't know that that's happening in the United States of America good morning smell the coffee this is what's going on in our nation and they're teaching young kids these kids don't want to know about this stuff kindergarten is first grade they want to drink milk sleep on the mat play with blocks and I want to do the same things but there are those who are purposely exposing them to things and destroying their innocence. Why? Because they know they can't convince them when they get older, and if their parents teach them morality and truth, or if they learn it in church, we've got to get them when they're young and tell them what we want them to think so that when they get older, we can control them. If you don't see the devil's fingerprints all over that, I'm going to get the Holy Ghost jumper cables out and wake you up. It's clear. Let's go. Mm. So those who purposely destroy a child's innocence, God says, "You know what? I see what you're doing, and judgment awaits." Listen, uh, listen to Matthew eighteen five through seven. For whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. This is Jesus talking. Listen to verse 6, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck so that he would be drowned in the depths of the sea. God sees what's going on. God sees how the innocence of children is being assaulted and perverted, and and they're trying to subvert them, and they're trying to weed out the Judeo-Christian ethics that have made this nation great, and that they have an agenda, and God says, I see what you're doing, and a millstone awaits you. Judgment awaits you. You might think you're in control now. You might think you're getting away with it. You might think you can fool the parents, or you can control us, but listen, God Almighty says, I will will judge those who destroy the innocence of our children it's coming it's coming for those of you who don't know what a millstone is it's not a little petite piece of jewelry it's a huge heavy rock that was used to grind grain into flour and listen you can't swim with one on your neck they're not like water wingies you're going to sink to the depths of the sea. And God says it would be better for you to die that way than to face the judgment when you've shattered the innocence of children. Innocence is something that is precious, that should be protected. And, and when it, children are assaulted, it's just mind-boggling. The person who says, well, you know, I, I don't want to be ignorant of things that are going on. I want, to be, I want to know what's going on. You know, I don't want to be ignorant of, you know, this or that or naive. Listen, there's certain things it's okay to be ignorant of there's certain things that we don't have to know about. That's us preserving our innocence. You know, I've never smoked crack, but I've seen what it does to people, so I don't have to experience it to say, well, you know, I really know what's going on with this. I remember... Being in ministry, Pastor Mike, you remember being in the city walking through some of the parks during the crack epidemic in the late eighties, where there was crack files just crunching under our feet, and we're walking and we're seeing people like human debris laying everywhere, just uh, who have been stripped into the bondage of this drug, laying in their own urine and feces. Tell them the truth? Hmm. Well, I just want to know what's going on. I just wanna be innocent. Be excellent as what is good. Be innocent of evil. Amen. Preserve your innocence today. There are lines we should never cross because once we've crossed them, we can't uncross them. God forgives. God restores. But once our innocence is shattered, we're going to carry some degree of that damage till the day we die. And there could even be a price that will cost us. You say, Pastor, no, that's not true. You know, once I'm forgiven, there's no consequences. Oh, I knew you'd say that, so I have three biblical examples for you. Number one, let's look at David here in 1 Chronicles 28, 1 through 3. David was a man after God's own heart. There's more text in the Bible documenting the life of David than any other Bible character that's in there. He got more airtime than anybody else. God said, he's a man after my own heart. But listen, what sin cost David here in First Chronicles 28, 1 through 3. And David assembled all the princes of Israel, the princes of the tribes and the captains of the companies that ministered to the king by course and the captains over the thousands and the captains over the hundreds and the stewards over all the substance and possession of the king and of his sons with the officers and with the mighty men and with the valiant men unto Jerusalem. So David assembled everybody, and he says this in verse 2. Then David, the king, stood up upon his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. As for me, I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God and had made ready for the building. But God said to me, Thou shalt not build a house for my name because thou has been a man of war and has shed blood. Now, let's unpack this here today. David wanted to build a place for the presence of God. He wanted to build a tabernacle. And God said, oh, oh, not so fast. You're not going to build it because you've done some things on the battlefield that crossed the line and you've done some things. David killed hundreds, maybe thousands of Philistines in combat, and God never judged him for it, but he killed one innocent man, Uriah, and he spilled his blood to take his wife Bathsheba, and God said, you're a bloody man. You say, but God forgave David. David repented. That's right. And God said to him, I forgive you, but because of what you've done, that immorality and that sin, you will not do this. It cost him something, and I want you to see that. He was a man after God's own heart, but he had done some things that had innocent blood on his hands, and it cost him some spiritual opportunities. You say, okay, that's Old Testament. Well, I got another one for you. There was a guy named Moses, and Moses was leading the children of Israel, and they were just a peach of a people. And they had ticked poor Mo off so bad that he took his staff And the people are wanting, we want this and we want that and we want that and we want water. And Moses went, wham, he struck the rock and water came out and everybody drank. And Moses is in the corner with his stick. And God said, hey, Mo, (laughs) come here. Come here. Because you struck the rock like that and you misrepresented me before the people and you showed anger when I wasn't angry, I can't trust you anymore, and because of that, you will never lead this people into the promised land. What? Moses, who went through all this junk and all this garbage and dealing with all these people and before Pharaoh and let my people go and all this stuff? And he does one thing, and it costs him, yes. Reckless sin has consequences. And there again, you might be saying, well, that's Old Testament. Okay, I got one from Revelation for you. Revelation 14 4. these are the ones who have not defiled themselves with women for they are celibate. These are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. They have been purchased from mankind as followers. First fruits to God and unto the Lamb. So there are people in eternity who didn't engage in sexual immorality and offered themselves to God as uh, offering their celibacy. And listen, he says, I'm going to reward you for that. Now, I want you to understand one thing. The marriage is, you don't defile yourself in marriage. Sex is not dirty. In fact, Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage is honorable among all men and the marriage bed is undefiled but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Listen, marriage doesn't defile you. Sex was God's idea. Most of you are here because of it. So don't make it dirty. Religion likes to make it dirty, but it's not. The defilement here was that these guys didn't give themselves over to sexual immorality, and God rewarded them and not others in eternity. They got to follow the lamb, Gucci, wherever he went. Woo, we get to hang with Jesus all eternity long. I don't want to be sitting out in heaven's lobby. Just getting to watch him walk by. Do You see, there's sin that has a consequence. And sexual immorality has consequences. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. You say, Pastor, why do we have to talk about this? First of all, because we're in Proverbs 6, and it was in there, and I'm not skipping it. <laughs> so, hang on. Now, we've got to preach what's in the Word, right? And the reason I'm preaching it the way it's written and the way I'm giving it is because I love you, and God loves you, and I don't want to see your life destroyed. And if you're out there today and you're flirting with the idea of stepping out on your marriage, if you're, uh, you know, there's people at the office that give you so much, oh, they listen to me. Oh, they really like me. They always comment about my new shirt. Someone in the neighborhood who's just a little too friendly. Come on, someone in the workplace who just, uh, you know, they always want to be right next to you. It's not because you're so special and desirable, the enemy's setting you up for the kill. The truth is, most of us are lucky we got one person that will put up with us. (laughs) My wife is saying amen on the front row. I don't know how I do it, Jesus. Thank you. But understand, God wants to warn us today. And you say, well, it's, it's uncomfortable. I understand. But God loves us enough. If you're in that position where the enemy's targeting you and he's setting you up, stop and run and get out of that situation. Don't entertain it, don't mess around with it. It's not going to be what he's telling you it's going to be, it's going to be destructive. Next time we're together on this text, we're going to finish up, God willing, verses 30 through 35. But today, we just took those three verses, and I pray that they have stuck in our hearts, and that if we need to write our course or make decisions to avoid certain situations that the Holy Spirit's illuminated today, that we would make those corrections. Let's bow our heads. Father, I pray today that your people would hear your call the sexual purity. Father, I pray for young people today who are immersed in a world that is so permissive and immoral. Father, that these things that uh, the word tells us to avoid because they'll destroy our souls are being propped up and forced down our children's throats from the time they can sit at a school desk. But I pray for our young people today that they would choose your way and that they would know to save themselves and keep themselves from the from the brokenness and the destruction of immorality. And for our marriages, Lord, where the, the divorce rate in the church mirrors that of the world, Father, it should not be so. But help us, Lord, to to love and serve and honor you by honoring our marriage commitments, to meet one another's needs, to not war against each other, but to love one another as you intended. Marriage is to be a model of Christ and the bride and the church. Help our marriages to model that. Father, And if we need help, I pray, Lord God, that we would come get it. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give them a hand clap of praise this morning.